But uh, the mutual faith, that uh, it means things we share. Mutual means something you share uh, together. Mutual funds, or sometimes people invest in mutual funds, and it is, they're, they're shared funds. They're, they're not just all in one place. They're, they're divided up, and other people share the, the investment of somebody. And uh, here the Bible tells us, Paul is talking to the church at Rome. Now, at this point, he had not been to Rome. He would be in Rome. He'd go as a prisoner and be there at least two years in a hired house and a rented home that he would rent and have a Roman soldier watch him. He would maybe be let go for a little while, then come back under the Mamertine prison and be in a very uncomfortable situation till the end of his life in 2 Timothy. Uh, he would write from there that last swan song that he has. But he had not been to Rome, but as you heard the statement before, all roads lead to Rome. And so at that time, that was the Roman Empire, and that was the headquarters of the world. And, and so he had been a soul winner, and wherever he had went, and people who won people to Christ moved to the big city of Rome, and there was a body of believers there that needed to get some truth. They needed to get some things settled. And boy, many people believe if you only had one book of the Bible, you would want to have the book of Romans. Many of you have used the Romans road to lead people to Christ because the gospel is very clear. It's divided in several categories. Chapters 1 through 3 is sin. Chapters 4 and 5, salvation. And then uh, chapter 6 uh, is 7, is talking to 8, is talking about sanctification. Uh, 9, 10, 11 is primarily uh, the sovereign God and his working in the lives of his people, the Jewish people, and that he's not set, cast them aside. He is, still has a plan for Israel and how he sees with that. And of course, many folks somewhat get confused and use uh, those chapters out of context, in my opinion, to try to prove predestination and, uh, and false thoughts about election and, and uh, Calvinism and things of that nature that come. I think when you look at those, you need to look at them as parentheses. You can almost leave chapter 8 of Romans where it says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, neither height nor depth, you know, all the things he talks about there. And then, he's, then it goes now in chapter 12, now I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, based upon the fact that he'll never separate from you, beseech you there. And it doesn't mean that 9, 10, 11 are not important. They are, but they're parenthetical somewhat, talking about God's plan for salvation and Israel in the same context. And then, of course, chapters 12 through 16 are very much talking about service. Uh, service, government, chapter 13, brothers and sisters, 14, 15, the same way. Ye who are strong, I'll support them that are weak and not please your own self and be a loving of other people. And in chapter 16, of course, a little bit of a... Of a um, a time where he talks about all the people that worked with and he loved and cared about, uh, so forth and so on, staying away from people who, who have been uh, or negative or, or who are, are critical or uh, people who cause divisions rather than godly edifying. He reminds them about how to serve the Lord. But in chapter 1, he just kind of says, look, I want to I, I come to you, and I haven't come to you yet. So he writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the book of Romans, and sends it on ahead. And these folks get this, this thing, and it passes around the churches. But I love his verse in verse number 12. He talks about the mutual faith. What are some things we share in common? I don't think we'll go through all of them tonight, but I want to just start with them, if you would, please. Look at verse number 1, and let's think of some things that we share in common. Aren't you glad you're a part of the family of God? 
There are things that give us commonality and opportunities to be together on. He said, look, this is, this is our mutual things. These are some concepts that we share mutually. Look, if you would please, at verse number one, the Bible says, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, by the way, didn't say uh, that he was the boss or he was the church planner. He said, I'm a servant, called to be an apostle, a sent one, someone who had been sanctioned and sent out by God. And once you notice the rest of the verse, would you read it with me, beginning with the word separated, ready? Separated unto the gospel. You know, the truth of the matter is, that's something we have mutually. All of us have special, unique gifts and strengths that God has separated us to do something for him. That was played out today when I thought about Brother Atlee Anderson. Very few times did Brother Atlee get up in front. Maybe he rarely ever got up here or in behind a pulpit. When he went soul winning, he was oftentimes the silent partner. But God had separated him to do some things. He worked with our pathfinders, our, our special needs adults. His ministry was passionate, taking care of those men and helping them to understand the gospel for many of them who would accept the Lord. Spent decades of his life working with them. You know, God had separated him for his work. And God has separated you. That's something we all share. None of us have the same strengths. No, we don't always have the same weaknesses. God put us in there, but we have purpose. And we ought to be separated unto the Lord for what God has called us to do. What does the Bible say about those who try to compare themselves among themselves? It's not the best thing to do. The enemy of contentment is comparison. Well, if I, didn't, if I had their past, I would do better than my past. Look, you, you know what? It would be a good idea for all of us to have faith in how God led us, how he made us, how he prepared us. We all got a past. We all got things that we, we were, not, we're, not, we're not proud of, we're embarrassed by or shamed by. Or, and some of them, quite frankly, we can choose what we do, but we can't choose what happens when we do it. Some of them, it does limit us. But the truth of the matter is, today is the first day of the rest of your life. And you're not going to steer your car straight looking at the rearview mirror continually and looking about what things that, what, what would have happened or what a shoulda, coulda, woulda. I got to say, you know, I pressed toward the mark. Paul had things that he, he and were in his past that were very good. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was a doctor of the law. He knew lots of things. He was zealous. But then he also had some very hurtful things. Things watching Stephen go off into heaven and looking over there at his widow and his, and his kids and, and the people that he pulled out of their homes, men and women, did not have any uh, bias against, uh, it didn't matter if it was a man or a woman, it didn't matter if it was old or young. If he can get them and put them in the chain gang and take them off to jail, that's what he wanted. He didn't care about the kids screaming, didn't care about what was happening, didn't care the complications. All he wanted to do was hurt Christianity. He had that to bring up. I think that's why he says, boy, I was the chiefest of sinners. And we say, no, he wasn't that bad. I think he was bad. And I think he knew what it was like to be him. He knew the mess he had caused. But he says, you know what, I, I, uh, I put all those things behind me. I pressed toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to just remind you, friend, that you have a mutual faith that God has separated you for certain things. Have faith in how God made you, how, how, how you're made. None of us, we, we, have, we have strengths, we have weaknesses. 
This week I was preaching in, in North Carolina, and I want to thank you for praying. Many of you prayed so fervently, and it was obvious that you did. God really blessed in the meeting, and there were hundreds of pastors there. I should say at least scores of pastors and a lot of other preachers that came, evangelists and missionaries and things of that nature. But the truth of the matter, sometimes when you hear a bunch of people preach, you're like, man, that guy can flat know how to communicate. That guy does a good job. I wish I could do like that. I wish I could preach like that. I wish I could remember stuff like he remembers stuff. I wish I could have the humor that he uses. And Boy, the truth of the matter is, that's just dumb. Because I'm not them and they're not me. You really just need to walk in your own shoes and decide this is how God made me. This is what he's given me. I'll have faith in how God made me, how he's led me, and how he's prepared me. Just be the best you you can be with the Holy Spirit's help. I'll never forget sitting with Dr. David Gibbs and I saw him again. He told me to greet all of you and thank you for your love and kindness to CLA and to he and Miss Gloriane. I remember one day, just I was 33, 34 years old, he called me and said, look, I'm gonna, I want to come and try to encourage you in the early stages of your ministry here in Long Beach. I, I have taken that through the court when the American Baptist Convention sued that church, and I've been there some difficult times. I'm coming in town. I'd love just to spend time with you. I don't have to preach. I said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to preach if you're there. So he preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and afterwards he said, let's go. And we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And so he paid for his own meal, I think, or I tried to do it, but he insisted he'd do it. And we sat at a restaurant called Caro's. And I said, well, Brother, Brother Gibbs, you got to help me. What, what kind of advice would you give? I was now 33 years old. Never pastored a church in my life. This church has got more problems you can shake a stick at. What do you think I should do? And he said, well, you know what you should do? You should be the best John Wilkerson you could be with the Holy Spirit's help. Because I would tell him, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. I said, hang that. He began to go on to say, you couldn't, you couldn't cram a Lee Robertson into a Jack Hiles if you wanted to. You couldn't put a Tom, Lowe, Tom Malone into a Lester Olaf if you wanted to. You couldn't put a D.L. Moody into a Spurgeon. Oh, my goodness, that would be a disaster. Or put a Spurgeon into a deal, or, or a do, a Moody into a, you can't do it. You can't put anybody in anybody else. Everybody's been separated for a certain purpose. I think we ought to get good at just deciding, this is how God made me. This is something I can mutually share with you. I'm me, you're you. God, if God made you to be a lady, then you be the best godly lady you can be. And for Pete's sake, don't try to be a man. God made you a man, don't you try to be a lady. Draw the line and say, this is how God made me. I just wish, I wish ladies could be a pastor. I'd be a good one. Uh, don't, don't, don't do that. Just be what God wants you to be. Share that mutual faith that you are separated for the gospel of Christ. Forget about what you don't have and decide what God gave you. Look around your little lunch pail and say, this is what God gave me. And look at your little tool bag and say, this is the tools God gave me. And I'm going to share that mutually with my brothers and sisters for the gospel of Christ. Verse number one, we share something mutually in our faith. Is that is that God has separated us for a purpose. Look at number two, would you please? Verse number two, another concept that we share. Would you read it with me? Which he hath promised before by his prophets in the Holy Aren't you glad God gave us the scriptures? This is, this is what we share mutually. This is why we gather around. I don't know about you, I love coming to a church where they're going to open the Bible. 
And I'm not going to have to hear what somebody just thought up. I'm going to get to go right to the Bible and turn wherever pastor tells me. I'm going to see it black and white, see what the scripture says. And what we share in our mutual faith is the scriptures. I heard a great message recently from Brother Sexton on build your life on the Bible. Build your family on the Bible. I was talking to someone not too long ago, and I said, well, pastor, what do you think I should do? I said, what do you think God wants you to do? So, don't ask me that, pastor. So where in the Bible, what does the Bible tell us we ought to do? Because the truth of the matter is, there's a way that seemeth right to us, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When you've got a problem, I would not suggest you go ask your friend or your mother or your daddy, what do you think I should do? You ought to say, what do you think God wants me to do? What's in the Bible that tells me what I should do? The scriptures are given to us. We know how to get to heaven from here. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says that from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures were able to make you wise into salvation. The first reason God gave us the Bible is so we could be saved. Faith cometh by hearing. It's amazing to me when I witnessed to people and had the chance to talk to some folks today about the gospel. Neither one of them accepted the Lord, but I'm grateful for the opportunity just to, to plant the seeds. I mean, the one, one fellow in particular, I was witnessing to him, telling him. So we think about that. He goes, I think God's trying to deal with me. <laughs> I say, well, that's true. And uh, got to text him, exchange to text this afternoon a little bit, and asking God to help him. But the truth of the matter is, we need to, we need to, the Bible's given to us to show us how to get saved. When I, win, when I get to talk to people about Christ, I'm always amazed when I say, listen, do you, what do you think we ought to do about that? Do you, if Jesus will accept your sin, would you accept Jesus? And they say, yes. I don't know how. And they start praying to a God they cannot see. They accept a gift they cannot feel. They do it by heart and they do it by mouth based upon what the Bible says. The word of God is powerful. It's quick. It's powerful. And it's something we share mutually. The word of God is not just given to us to get to heaven from here, but to show us how to live after we know we're going to heaven. The Bible says the word of God, we have to understand that it's for salvation and it's for success, for profitability. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. You want God to bless your life? Make much of the Bible. Years ago, I had a, a professor at the college, and he would say, what you do with the Bible determines what God does with you. What he was trying to tell me is, Man, John, if you'll make much of your Bible, God will make much of your life, and there will be a success. You'll find a line of success going from somebody who's committed to the Scriptures to success. The only time you'll find the word success in the Bible is about the Bible. When, 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 when the Lord told Joshua, Joshua, let not this book of the law depart out of your mouth. He said, don't you talk about the Bible. I wonder how many times we talk about sports. We talk about the weather. We talk about our job. We talk about this house or that situation or this, this uh, current event. It was the last time you had a friend that says, listen, tell me what, what God shared with you in the scriptures. Give me a verse. Give me a verse. Give me a thought. What have you been meditating on? He said, I want you to talk about the Bible. He said, this book of the law shall not depart of your mouth, but, it, but you should meditate. Not just, not just mouth it, but meditate on it. Think about it. It's like, a, like an old cow that just goes and eats and eats and eats and, and puts it in multiple stomachs and then goes and sits down and, and uh, you know, takes his tail and flashes all the flies and just sits there and chews the cud, every bit of nutrient out of all that he ate. 
He's just mowing it over, just grinding through it. When you look at your Bible, you ought to ask, you know, what is it God's trying to tell me here? What is it I need to get? What is the truth he's trying to get? What's a sin I can avoid? What's a promise I can claim? What's a thought I can ponder? What is it that God, why did he put that in the Bible? How many believe that every word of God is pure? Even the names? Onisiphorus, is that a pure name? I'm glad I didn't name my kid that. I wouldn't be able to say it. I wouldn't remember it hardly. You know, every word of God is pure, and God doesn't say things just because. So why do you repeat things? Think about one of the marriage verses in the Bible that God repeats in Genesis and Matthew and Mark and again in Ephesians. For the cause of marriage, for this cause, shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Why would God repeat that four times? You know why? I think it's one of the biggest marriage problems in the Bible is making your spouse a priority. We'll make ministry a priority. We'll make mama a priority. We'll make family plans a priority. We'll make our job a priority. And God says, no, I want to be number one and make your spouse number two. If you want to get married for this cause, leave and cleave. You have to say other relationships, they, they become a, uh, a distant third. God's number one. My spouse becomes number two, and everybody else is a distant third. Why did God tell us that four times? Why? Because it's important. We need to repeat some things that are important. He's reminding us these things. And boy, when we have problems, it's because we don't, we don't uh, take the scriptures what they ought to be. But he, says, he said, the scriptures given to us for salvation. Number two, that, that, that this is profitable. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for you. And it's profitable unto doctrine, what's right. For reproof, what's not right. For correction, how to get right. For instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. And then he says, the man of God, uh, that, that, you, that, that, that you might grow and be mature. It's given to us for seasoning so that we can be thoroughly furnished, so that we can be grown up. Boy, people who mature, mature because they make much of the Bible. It's amazing. I was talking to a young man. I remember when he got saved. He and his girlfriend were sleeping in the bushes in downtown Long Beach, California. Someone went to a homeless area and began to talk to them and told them, hey, we, tomorrow night, we're tomorrow afternoon at, at church, we're having a service and we're having chicken dinner. Gave him a flyer and he and, and Jessica stumbled in there. And That day, uh, he got his salvation settled. Jessica got saved. And I just talked to him. He just became a pastor of a church in the city of Commerce, California. Just prayed with him today. He said, Pastor, I'm scared to death. Because I am just so scared, but the Lord's going to have to help me. So beautiful, but I remember, I remember that time, he, this, this particular young man, he, he grew really fast, and, he, and I told him some men, you know, he said, they came to the schedule appointment, and said, Pastor, he goes, before we got saved, we weren't interested in getting married, he said, but we feel terrible. I mean, I'm going to stay with Jessica, stay with me, we might as well get married, but we don't know how to get married. I said, let me help you. He said, we need to go down to the courthouse, get this, and I'll take some time. He goes, and I, he said, how much do you think it takes? I think I'll probably call you about 75 bucks. He goes, I said, I, I can help you. He goes, no, no, don't help us. Boy, about three days later, he came back, and they collected cans and, and bottles and got enough money. They brought their wedding certificate. We're ready. <laughs> I said, no, you're not ready yet, but let's, let's work on it. They got married. Uh, one month from the day they got saved, they got married in the same service on a Sunday afternoon. I remember him being so excited about the things of God. But then he came to me another day. Boy, he was growing fast, and she, 
she, uh, she and he were both just growing. They got baptized or to be in discipleship. And he came to me all downhearted. He said, Pastor, there's a warrant for my arrest. So before I got saved, I was involved with this check writing scheme where, you know, a guy would give me, I was homeless at the time, he'd give me a $500 check and he, he'd tell me to endorse it, go down to check things, get it, get it cashed, go to the bank, get it cashed. And then I would give him, I would give him 400 and he'd let me keep 100 And I just did it several times. It's caught up with me. He said, Pastor, I've been in juvenile hall since I was a kid. He said, I want to run so bad. My grandmother lives in Colorado. I think if I just go, they won't chase me for checks. I can just start a new life over there. What do you think? I said, no, I think probably you ought to probably face your problem. And boy, I was just confident. He was growing so fast. God was going to really just have mercy on him. I remember going to court with him that day. And... uh, we both walked into court, and, and I walked out by myself, and he walked out with handcuffs. And the judge says, no, you've, you've got a rap sheet, and you need to learn your lesson. He gave him 11 months in jail. I thought, that is terrible. Lord, what in the world could you be doing? Except for in jail, he read his Bible through all the way through, and he read his New Testament through 30 times. And he came out like a walking Bible. When I was writing him back and forth, he's writing me, I'm writing him. We're talking about Jessica, his wife, and she got a good job at a little nursing staffing agency, and now she's very, very successful at that job. God's given three beautiful kids. and He came out, and he said, Pastor, I think God's called me to preach. I said, I think so too. So what kind of job have you been doing? He goes, oh, I've not been working very good. So you need to work. Work for a year, and then let's talk about preaching. You need to have laziness to scourge of the ministry. So we got a, a great job at an asphalt company. He hated every day of it. And he was just miserable. He's like, man, this is the worst job. I said, oh, it's a good job for you. You just keep doing it. He won his foreman to the Lord. Brought him to church. We got to see him get saved. And Bobby got saved. And his wife, Debbie, got saved. And then I did their wedding. And they got married. And now Bobby's daughter is Brother Hubal Perez's um, wife. And our, our, our Spanish youth pastor's wife is from that situation. Never forget, whenever God took him and just used him and helped him start a church in Wilmington, California, and then God, God just has used him, and now he's going to pastor this church over here in the City of Commerce. Just seeing God take a mess and make a miracle. Be able to use him in a wonderful way. And I think about all these things, and I, I think about everything that changed was the Bible. Never forget hearing him tell me the story he said, I was, in, I was in jail, and he goes, Pastor, you took me to discipleship on the Word of God, and you kept telling me to use the King James Version of the Bible. He said, but I, um, in jail, I had a little paperback, King James, and I was reading through that thing, highlighting written notes and everything, and the chaplain saw I was really good and really committed to this. He goes, you know, I want to give you a good Bible, a leather Bible. And so he brought, he brought me a leather Bible. It smelled so good. It was clean. It was good, but it was NIV. And I said, ah, pastor, he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is fine. I can't imagine, you know, letting this go. So he went to his jailmate about, to, about four doors down that he, that he knew, knew the Lord. He says, listen, you have a Bible? He says, no. I said, here, take this little paperback. It's been a good Bible for me. You'll enjoy it. His eyes just went back, and I laid on my Bible, and I looked at it, and I read it. He goes, I read it for like two days, and it wasn't doing anything for me. He said, I read that other Bible over and over again, and boy, the guy was speaking to me. I was reading this Bible, and it just seems like it was like drinking watered-down Kool-Aid. 
It just wasn't doing something for me. I thought, oh, man, this is stupid. I, I know this is good. He finally said, he said, you know what, hang this. And he went down to his cellmate. He said, can I have my paperback back? You can have this one. <laughs> and he, he swapped back with his paperback that he read another 25 times. God used him in a wonderful way. But you know what the maturity took place? That he, can, he didn't have a dad that was a godly dad, but he's a good godly dad. He had his, his mom and divorced and all kinds of problems, grew up on the streets. But his kids are just beautiful kids. You know how he learned that maturity? Through the Word of God. What you and I do with the Bible. And don't just listen to pastor. Don't listen to your Sunday school teacher only. Oh, I think you ought to. You can read your Bible to home and God can speak to you, but he'll never speak to you quite the same way he does in your Sunday school class. He'll never speak to you quite in the unique way he does in a service like this one. Just spending time in the Word of God, but love the Bible. Read it. Think about it. Meditate on it. You're going to find success when you do it. Just do what the Bible tells you to do. Things that we have in our mutual faith, we have the fact that we're separated for the cause of the ministry. God has a purpose for you. It doesn't matter if you're 7 years old or you're 78 years old. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You've been separated for the cause of the gospel. God wants to do something for you. There's people that you can reach. No one will reach the same way you can reach them. You're separated. That's what we have in a mutual faith. We have the scriptures. And then I love verse number three, and we'll conclude with this. Look at verse number three and read it out loud with me. Now concerning his son, which was made in the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What else do we have in this mutual faith? We have an identification with Jesus Christ, God's son. Why don't you just for a second, let's, let's look at a couple verses real quick. First go to John chapter 3. What we have in common, the, the main thing we have in common is Jesus, God's Son. Look at chapter 3 and look at the last verse that you see there, verse number 36. John 3, 36. If you're in the habit of underlying things in your Bible, you want to underline this. Let's look at it real quickly. Let me have all the men read it. Are you ready? Verse 36, 336. Are you ready? Here we go, guys. Ready? He that believeth on the Son, he that believeth not the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God. So what does that verse teach me about the Son? You've got to have him, don't you? If you have him, you have everlasting life. If you don't have him, you don't have everlasting life. Let's go, if we can, please, to 1 John chapter number Five. First John, the back of your Bible, we find Revelation and back up two or three books there. You'll come to First John chapter 5. This is another verse I would encourage you to read. It speaks of the deity of Christ. John chapter 5 and verse number 20. Ladies, let me get you to read that if you would please. John, First John, First John chapter 5 and verse number 20. Did I tell you right, First John? Here we go, girls, ready? And we know... And he hath given us an understanding. And we are in him that is true. All right. He said, even his son, Jesus Christ, this is the what? True God. Even his son and he's eternal life. Just a reminder, what do we have in common this mutual faith? We have the fact that we've been separated for the cause of the gospel. We have the scriptures that are inerrant, inspired, preserved for us today, that we can believe in them, we can live it, we can love it, we can get saved through it, we can learn how to live through it. It can season us, it can grow us, it can equip us for service. All the Word of God. And then we have the person of Jesus. 
One thing I want to encourage you, I don't care what kind of work you do, I don't care what you, who you are, make much of Jesus. If you give a gospel track, try to remind people it's about Jesus. If you talk about the church, remind them that it's the church of the Lord Jesus. You got to think about him. Have you thought about him today? Have you, have, you, have you praised him? Have you exalted him? Have you considered him? The Bible says looking unto Jesus. If we don't look to him, we're going to get all squirrely and we're going to get off track. If you look to a pastor, I'm going to fail you and any pastor will. If you look to a church program, church programs go up and down. There's things we try that are really good. There's some things we try that are really not so good. If you, if you serve God because of a good nursery or because you, you like the way this is done or like that's done, well, that's going to change in time. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want a stable life? Make much of Jesus. He is the key ingredient and the key concept, key concept for our mutual faith.